Amen. Turn in your Bibles with me to 2 Timothy chapter 4. We are almost at the end of this letter in the series called Guarding the Gospel, uh, where we've been walking through Paul's last letter that he wrote to young Timothy to encourage him to stay the course and to remain faithful to Jesus. And so today our text is 2 Timothy 4, verses 6 through 8. And we're going to look at what it looks like for us to run the race today. So this is God's word, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6. Paul writes, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but to also to all who have loved his appearing. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for these short verses today. We thank you for the life of the Apostle Paul, who is such an amazing example to us of someone who treasured Christ so much that he was willing to suffer, he was willing to struggle, he was willing to lay down his life for the sake of Jesus. And so would you help us to look to Paul's example today, a man who ran the race with his eyes fixed on Jesus. Would you help us to do that today, God? Speak to us through these words. Help us in Jesus' name. Amen. So my wife and I like to watch a show called The Amazing Race. I don't know if anybody else likes to watch it. It's a TV show where teams of people race all the way around the world. They have to go from country to country. They have to follow clues. There's challenges that they have to do along the way. And one of the trickiest parts of this show is finding a taxi driver who knows where he's going. There have been teams who were in first place they're super excited. They're about to win the race. They jump into a taxi cab, and they get lost. The driver has no clue where they're going. You see, it doesn't matter how excited they were or how great they thought they were doing. In the end, they ended up going in the wrong direction. And in the end, they didn't finish the race. I think there's a danger that we all face, and, and that's the danger of running this race in the wrong direction. The Christian life is often described as a race, and if we're going to run it well, we need to know where we're going, right? We need to know we're going in the right direction. Sadly, many Christians confuse this Christian race with the American life. It's where the goal is to be successful and happy, where the goal is to do whatever makes you feel good. The ultimate goal is to do the best you that you can be. But in the end, it's not Christ and his kingdom that many are after. It's really the kingdom of self that reigns supreme. You see, the message of this kingdom, the kingdom of self, is what's in it for me? The, the path of this kingdom of self is do whatever makes you happy. And the good news, the gospel of the kingdom of self is in the end, you get what you really love most, you. But you see, the call to follow Christ is a call to come and die to the kingdom of self and to live for his kingdom, to run this race according to his rules and not ours, to live our lives in the right direction. 
Today, God has brought us to some of the very last words of Paul, and he's staring down the face of his own death, and he looks back at the race that he has run for Jesus. He sees the sacrifice. He sees the faith. He sees the longing that he has to see Jesus face to face. And God wants us to see that today, too. God wants us to follow the example of Paul who has run the race in the right direction. So today, how do we follow Paul and run this race after Jesus? That's what we're doing today. Well, first, I think Paul would tell us to live a life of sacrifice. Live a life of sacrifice. Paul is coming to the end of his last letter, and he encourages Timothy to keep working hard as a minister of the gospel. Look at verse 6. He says, I am already being poured out as a drink offering for the time of my departure has come. Remember, Paul is writing this letter in prison in Rome. He's been arresting for declaring that Jesus and not Caesar is the true king of the world. And he knows that he's about to be executed. Notice how he sees his death as an offering. He says, I'm being poured out as a drink offering. This is an image from the Old Testament. Priests would take a bowl that was filled with wine or with honey or with oil, and they would pour it on the ground right there by the altar of sacrifice. It was a way of giving thanks to God and offering something good to the Lord, and it was often very costly. And you see, Paul says here that he's offering his very own life as that kind of sacrifice to God. The suffering that he faced and he is facing is an offering to Jesus. Notice how he views his own death there in verse 6. He says it is a departure. That's the word for untying a boat from a dock so it can go out to sea. You see, Paul doesn't see his death as the end for him. Instead, it's the beginning of a journey. He's going to be with Jesus. And his death is going to allow him to do so. Now, the question that we have to ask is, why on earth would Paul be willing to suffer, even die for Jesus? I mean, remember, this wasn't new for Paul. Most of his ministry was filled with suffering. I mean, listen to Paul's own words from 2 Corinthians chapter 11. This is his life that he's describing. He says, I had far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. And night and day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea. Danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. Man, was this guy just a glutton for punishment? I mean, why on earth would he be willing to go through all of this? It's because he knew that no sacrifice he ever made would compare to the sacrifice that Jesus made for him. No amount of suffering would ever come close to the suffering of Jesus on the cross. You see, Paul knows that on the cross, Jesus poured out his life as a drink offering to the Lord. 
You see, long before Paul gave his own life as a drink offering, Jesus did it first. Instead of pouring wine before the altar, Jesus, our high priest, poured his own blood out on the cross. You see, Paul was willing to live a life of sacrifice because Jesus did it first. Jesus did it to make us his, and he gave his all so that we would be his. And now for those who have faith in him, he calls us to give our all to him as well. Remember Luke 9.23, we've talked about it a lot in this series. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. You see, Jesus calls us to carry a cross and to live a life of sacrifice. And friends, it's so worth it. As Paul says in Philippians 3.8, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. You see, here's the truth. Whatever God wants you to sacrifice, Jesus will always be better. If God's calling you to be more sacrificial for your money, hey, that's okay because Jesus is better than money, right? If God's calling you to be more sacrificial with your home, that's okay because Jesus is better than your home. If God wants you to sacrifice more of your time, that's good because Jesus is better than time spent on yourself. Jesus is better than an easy life. He's better than a successful career. He's better than being liked by others. Jesus is better than good health and good friends and good family. No matter what it is that you may have to give up, Jesus will always be better. Pastor David Platt writes this in his book, Radical. He says, radical obedience to Christ is not easy. It's dangerous. It's not smooth sailing aboard aboard a luxury liner. It's sacrificial duty aboard a troop carrier. It's not comfort, not health, not wealth, not prosperity in this world. Radical obedience to Christ risks losing all of these things. But in the end, such risk finds its reward in Christ. And he is more than enough for us. So what does that mean for us today? We're we're reading this verse What's radical obedience look like? What does it mean to live a life of sacrifice? Does that mean we, everybody needs to give away everything and go find a monastery and become a monk somewhere? Does it mean we've all got to sell all of our homes and all of our stuff? Does it mean we've all got to move to somewhere where they actually persecute Christians? What does this actually mean? I don't think God is opposed to us having good gifts. God is opposed to our good gifts having us. And having our hearts. So I think this is a good posture for us as the people of Jesus who want to be a drink offering to the Lord. I think we, we follow Jesus with open hands. That's, that's the posture of, of our hands and of our hearts. So you say, Jesus, whatever you want me to give, I'll give. Wherever you want me to go, Jesus, I'll go. Whoever you want me to welcome into my home, I'll welcome into my home. However you want me to serve Jesus, I'll serve. However you want me to suffer, I'll suffer. Because if we're running this race towards Jesus, if we're daily taking up our cross, and if we have open hands and open hearts, that's how we can know we're running in the right direction. 
So brothers and sisters, let's go all in for the one who went in all for us first. Let's live a life of sacrifice for Jesus. Secondly, live a life of faith. Not just sacrifice, but faith. So Paul looks back on his life as a follower of Jesus. And and in verse 7, he gives us three images. Notice first the image of a soldier. Paul says, I've fought the good fight. Like a good soldier, Paul has fought the fight of faith. And no matter how hard life was for him, how difficult the battle, Paul served Jesus and he worked hard to honor him. Notice the second image there is of an athlete. He says, I have finished the race. Not only has Paul competed in this race, but he's finished it. He's come to the end of his life and he's still trusting Jesus. And then in verse 7, the third image there is of a steward. He says, I have kept the faith. Like a steward entrusted with wealth, Paul has guarded the gospel deposited to him, and he's not turned his back on Jesus. You see, Paul is encouraging Timothy to live a life of faith just like that. Now, that word faith in verse 7 can mean two things. It can refer to the message of the faith. Sometimes we call it the Christian faith. It's the doctrine that we believe. Sometimes we just call it the gospel. But it can also refer to the actual act of faith, the act of personally trusting and believing in the gospel. I think Paul has both in mind here. He has kept the faith, meaning he has not turned from the truths of the gospel. But it's more than that. He's kept the faith, meaning he's continued to believe and trust in Jesus. Listen to what Paul says in Romans 1, 16 and 17. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. It's the message of our faith that's got the power to save us. But it's also a lifestyle that we live by. The righteous live by faith. You see, to run this race in the right direction means we hold true to the gospel on the one hand. But on the other hand, we actually believe that it's true. Really, it just means living a life of faith. So how do we do that? How do we live a life of faith? What does that actually look like? Well, here's a couple things. First, don't let sin deconstruct your faith in the gospel. Don't let sin deconstruct your faith in the gospel. Lance talked about this a little last week, about this idea of deconstructing, and it's helpful for us. We need to understand what's happening to so many people. There's a growing trend for people who were once faithful followers of Jesus to, quote-unquote, deconstruct their faith. could be a pastor who quits his church, divorces his wife, and leaves the Christian faith behind. could be a young person struggling with, with how the church handles issues of racism or politics or LGBTQ questions. It could be entertainers who find it hard to hold to Christian beliefs and fit in with Hollywood. Deconstructing is all about saying the church is wrong, the Bible's wrong, Christianity is wrong. And you know, sometimes people see the sins that other Christians commit and they want nothing to do with the gospel. Sometimes people see the gospel as the thing that keeps them from the sin that they want to do. Either way, sin is upsetting people's faith in the gospel. 
But here's the truth. There's no better good news out there than the good news of Jesus. You hear people say, I'm so happy. I've never felt so free now that I'm not longer a Christian. But there's nothing in this world that has to offer us that's better than Jesus. There's no wisdom that's better than Jesus. No love that's better than Jesus. There's no joy better than Jesus. Don't let the sin of others distract you from the beauty of Jesus. And don't let your own sin deceive you into thinking there's something better out there than Jesus. Don't let sin deconstruct your faith in Jesus. And second, don't let suffering destroy your faith in Jesus. Don't let the suffering you face destroy your faith in Jesus. I mean, trusting Jesus is easy when things are going well, right? But when suffering comes... That's when faith is hard. It's, it's hard to trust that Jesus is working for our good when everything seems so bad. It's hard to trust that Jesus is with us when we feel abandoned by God. It's hard to trust that Jesus loves us when we feel like we're being punished. Suffering is never easy, and in many cases, it's a test of our faith. But don't we walk by faith and not by sight? I mean, even when the world is crushing down on us, we trust. We trust, and, we, and then we trust some more. We, we cling to our faith in Jesus. Brothers and sisters, cling to your faith in Jesus, even when it's hard. Let the words of these songs ring through our church. I will trust my Savior Jesus when my darkest doubts befall. Trust Him when to simply trust Him seems the hardest thing of all. When peace like a river attendeth my way or when sorrows like sea billows roll. Whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it's well with my soul. Brothers and sisters, I don't know everything that Jesus is doing through your suffering. But I know that he's there. I know that he's working. I know that he loves you. He loves you so much. So keep trusting Keep holding on to that faith. Keep running the race, fighting the good fight. Keep the faith. Because when we keep our eyes on Jesus and we run the race with faith, we know we're running in the right direction. Friends, let's live lives of faith together. Lastly, live a life of longing. So live a life of sacrifice, a life of faith. And live a life of longing. So Paul looks at his, at his future, and this is what he has to say in verse 8. He says, Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Paul looks past the suffering. He looks past the pain he looks past all of the fighting and the running and the stewarding, and he sees the reward. There is laid up for him in heaven a crown of righteousness. 
James calls it the crown of life. Peter calls it the crown of glory. And it's the everlasting reward of life forever in the joy and in the presence of Jesus in his kingdom. You see, it's a gift of Jesus' righteousness that's giving to us. But it's also the reward of those who have lived a righteous life in Christ. But who exactly gets this reward? Well, Paul tells us there at the end of the verse, everyone who has loved his appearing. What's that all about? What does he mean? Well, Jesus was clear. He is coming back to this world. After he rose from the grave, Jesus ascended to heaven to sit at the right hand of the Father, and he's right there right now. And he's promised that one day he's going to come back to us and for us. He said this in John 14, 3, If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am you may also be. The Holy Spirit says in Hebrews 9, 28, Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time. Not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. That's Paul's point here in verse 8. Who gets the reward? It's those who are eagerly waiting for him. My version says those who have loved his appearing. Really, that word love carries the idea of longing for something, to have a wholehearted longing that Christ would come and make all things new again. If you know me, you know that I love pizza rolls from the gas station. I know it sounds gross, but don't knock it until you've tried it. I love pizza rolls. But I long to be with my wife when she's away. You see, I don't think that a wife is a great idea. I love my wife. I'm devoted to my wife. I want to be with her. It's the same with Jesus. The reward of heaven is not just for those who think that Jesus is a good idea. Hey, somebody to fix this world? Great. That's a great idea. The reward of heaven is for those who long to be with Jesus. You know, we we like to laugh at those crazy people who predict when Jesus will come back. Well, there's another one, thinking they know when he's coming back. The Bible's clear. Nobody knows when Jesus is coming back. But here's the thing. I think a lot of us are glad that those people are wrong. We like the idea of Jesus coming back. But if we're honest, we're often longing for other things. We're tempted to say, come, Lord Jesus, Just not yet. Many of us want Jesus to come after we get married or after we have a good long career or after we see our kids grow up or after we get to see our grandchildren. Now, none of those things are wrong. They are certainly amazingly good gifts. But at the end of the day, they are not Jesus. And Jesus is the one we need to long for. This verse is clear. The crown of righteousness is given to those who long for Jesus to come again. Not just who long for heaven or who long to see your loved ones again or long to be in a world without suffering. Those are great things. But those who long to see Jesus face to face. I wonder if that longing is in your heart today. Maybe you've never trusted Christ, and that's why there's no longing there. 
Maybe there's no longing for him to come because you've not yet received him as the greatest treasure that there is. You see, when Jesus comes again, he will either be the great reward of those who have treasured him, or he will be the righteous judge of those who have not. Timothy Paul calls Jesus here the the righteous judge. And And the Bible is clear on this. You will live, you will die, and you will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And without Christ, you will face an eternal separation and punishment away from the presence of the Lord in hell. But the good news today is that by faith, you can be saved from your sins forever, live in the kingdom of Christ. You see, Jesus lived a perfect life and he died for sinners on the cross and he rose again so that he might save us. And if you've never trusted Christ, you can come to him today and by faith you can be saved. You can be confident that Jesus will be your everlasting reward. So if that's you, turn from your sin. Turn to Jesus and believe in him today. Now maybe you're here today and you've trusted in Christ for your salvation, but you're really struggling to long for Jesus to return. Here's my encouragement for you today. Look at Jesus. God tells us in Hebrews 12 to run this race with endurance that's set before us, how? By looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. How do we run this race with endurance? We look at Jesus. So that means turning the TV off and opening your Bible to look at Jesus. It means putting your phone away and spending time in prayer with Jesus. It means having a conversation with someone for once that's not about sports or weather or politics, but about Jesus. Maybe we don't long for Jesus because we forget how amazing Jesus really is. And maybe we forget how amazing he is because we fail to look at him. So friends, there's no one like Jesus. There is great reward coming for those who long for him. And so we know we're running in the right direction when our hearts are longing for Jesus to come. So brothers and sisters, let's live a life of longing. Jesus. You know, it would only be a few short months after Paul wrote these words that he would be killed for following Jesus. It's just months coming down the road. And as the world sees it, this is a pretty sad story. Here's a man sitting alone in prison. He's cold. He's lonely. He's got chains on his hands and feet. He's sitting there on death row And it's all because of Jesus. And that would be a super sad story if Jesus were not worthy. All that suffering, all that trusting, all that longing, that would be a sad story of this man, Paul, if Jesus were not worthy. But Jesus is worthy. You see, by his nature as God in the flesh, he is worthy. By his work on the cross, he is worthy. By his resurrection from the dead, he is worthy. And Paul knew that. Timothy knew that. The other apostles who were all killed for their faith, they knew it. 
the thousands of Christians who have been executed like Paul for following Jesus throughout the ages, they knew it. The thousands of Christians who are suffering today throughout the world know that Jesus is worthy. And so we don't need to ask ourselves, is Jesus worthy? He is. The question we have to ask is, will we live like Jesus is worthy? Will we live lives of sacrifice for him? Will we live lives of faith in him? Will we live lives of longing for his return? Are we going to run this race in the right direction? And so my prayer for all of us here today is that we will still continue to fight this good fight of faith. That one year from now, we'll all still be there fighting the good fight, running the race. That 10 years from now, we'll all still be running this race. And that the end of our lives, we'll be able to say with Paul, I've run the race, I've fought the fight, I've kept the faith. And how do we do that? We fix our eyes on Jesus. So let's fix our eyes and our hearts and our hands and our lives on Jesus. Let's run this race together sacrificing for him, trusting him, and longing for him to return. This race is long, this race is hard, but in the end, we get Jesus. And he is always, always worth it. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word today, God. What an amazing testimony the Apostle Paul is. We heard his own words of, the amount of suffering that he faced to follow you. To say that Jesus is Lord, not Caesar. To say that bearing a cross is better than seeking selfish advancement in life. To say that clinging to the gospel is better than any other false gospel out there. To say that longing for Jesus to come is worth it because he's worthy. God, we thank you for the Apostle Paul. We're thankful for his words here today. May we hear them and receive them and seek to live a life like he lived. God, would you help us to have sacrificial lives for you, open hands and open hearts that say, whatever you want, wherever you call, wherever you lead, we're going to go, Jesus. Help us to trust God, help us to cling to the, the truths of the gospel no matter what happens or what this world throws at us. Let us cling to our faith in the gospel no matter what suffering or hardships we face. And Lord, would you help us to long for Jesus to return? Lord, we confess that we can long for so many other things. God, but only Jesus is worthy. Let us receive good gifts. Let's be thankful for them, Lord. But help us to see that behind all of them is a gift giver named Jesus who is better than them all. God, I pray for those here today who may not know you, God. Would today be the day of salvation? Draw them to Christ. Help them to see the free gift of salvation that he would give them if they would just repent and believe. God, would you help us to fix our eyes on Jesus as we wait for his return. To long for him, to love him, to serve him, to trust him to run this race, to fight the fight, to keep the faith for Jesus' sake. God, show us today that Jesus is worth it. And we pray these things in his name. Amen.